Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. On this episode, we are back with some more interviews about some of our favorite books. And on this one, there is one little special interview, which I'll get to in just a second. But first, back from our Wednesday pop culture and fandom news episode, Rachel from Fandom Corner Podcast joined me to discuss one of her favorite books. And I really, really loved this discussion. So I hope you do too. And then after that, Carla, frequent panelist and my unofficial co-host, the lovely, lovely, amazing Carla, was very generous and very kind and nice to come and turn the tales on me and interview me about one of my favorite books. So I hope you enjoy these conversations. So first up, once again, it's Rachel from Fan Corner Podcast. I am joined again by Rachel from the podcast Fan Corner, and Rachel is going to be sharing with us one of her favorite books. And once again, like last week, I don't know what book she's going to say. I have no clue. She also, I mean, I'm just putting her into the fire here with, she has no prep for my questions either. So this will be a lot of fun. Hopefully, hopefully it'll be a lot of fun. You're going to roast me. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) No, I will be kind about whatever your choice is, unless it's like something that promotes horrible things, then I might not be, but I don't think that's going to happen. But so Rachel, welcome again first. Thanks for having me. Welcome. And so what is the name of one of your favorite novels and who is it by? And then a brief synopsis of the story. Okay. So this is basic. I'm, I'm just going to like out myself at the beginning before anyone can like give me that feedback. Um, this is very basic of me, even though I'm a voracious reader. Uh, a Court of Thorns and Roses, like every other book talk girly out there uh, by Sarah J. Moss. It's a fantasy series. It's a trilogy, but it's part of like a megaverse about like high fae. It's very like, uh, it's it's YA, um, but like cusping YA, like she's 19 kind of YA, you know what I mean? I don't know. It's it's like a lot of people say it's like a lot of, you'll hear a lot of jokes that it's fairy porn. I take beef with that, but the joke on TikTok is that it's fairy porn because uh, the fae or whatever. Anyway, yeah, that's what it is. It's a fantasy novel series it's like hunger games like hunger games meets fairies but like fairies these fairies are like elves they're like they look like human they just have ears and magic (laughs) okay i think this is an author and a novel that has been mentioned by one of our other panelists as something they were into like they couldn't stop reading it recently i think actually on our first book episode, like in August, like it was our first episode with the strike changes and everything. 
And I believe Sasha, end of July or August, I believe Sasha was the one. So when you're saying it's um, like f- the, the fairy porn <laughs> stuff in it, I, and I, that's why I think it was, because I think that was mentioned, that exact word. So you don't think it's fairy porn. Is that correct? Is that what I you do know? not. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. It is absolutely not fairy porn. Okay. So then what is it about this novel? And is it the whole series? Are you also really into the whole series? Or is it just mainly this novel? Great question. It's the series. It's called A Court of Thorns and Roses. My favorite book okay. is um, the second book, uh, A Court of Mist and Fury. And for me, it, it's really about like, well, not even for me, it just subjectively is about this like mental health struggle, but in a fantasy setting of like recognizing and surviving abuse. And so it was very powerful for me in the time of my life when I read it. And it was very formative for me when I read it five years ago. No, I I love that because I think we can find a lot of solace in books and other characters. And just because something is fantasy doesn't mean you cannot find a link there with your own life and a connection there. So you're saying it helped you a lot with your own trauma then? So it was like, was it like, is the whole series therapeutic for you? Or was it mainly just the second book that was therapeutic? I think the whole series is uh, the main character, Feyre, I really related to, like how she handled abuse and like overcoming her PTSD and things like that. I really related to a lot of her struggles and and things like that. So for me, it was just very... And then I would say uh, Sarah J. Moss in general, that's like what she's good at is dealing with mental health issues in these fantasy contexts. And I totally agree. I think fantasy almost helps us, at least for me and a, and a lot of fantasy readers I know, want to read about these hard things in a way that feels more accessible. Um, I like to say when I was a child, because I became a readaholic, and yes, it's a real thing, a readaholic <laughs> as a child, um, like to an unhealthy level. Because I was like gaslight gatekeeping myself into surviving like this very tumultuous childhood because I really got into my cute little head, like from a young age, that I was like a chosen one, like that very classic trope. And it helped me. And it's why I'm successful in whatever, like kids that grew up where I grew up, we don't end up like in good situations. And so I literally gaslight gatekept myself because I read fantasy books the way I did. And I think... The Neil Gaiman quote I think of a lot when it comes to fantasy is he says, yes, dragons aren't real, but reading about them help children slay dragons in the real world or something. I I botched that terribly. He says it's much more poetically than me, but basically that's the point is like we all have our own dragons. And so through the fantasy lens, it can help us slay the dragons that we're actually facing. Beautifully put. Seriously, that was, I mean, beautifully put, because I think that's very true of a lot of genre stuff. Um, I know for me, that's the way I feel about a lot of horror stuff, is it's the same kind of thing. Uh, Defeating that demon or defeating that evil that you feel that you're trying to defeat in your everyday life. And it is a lot easier, I think, at times to do it in a heightened reality, because you know, as far as we know, fairies don't exist. They could, but as far as we know, they don't. So when you're in a world like that, in a realm like that, what you said about finding it easier to deal with your trauma and to have it be a therapeutic experience 
where if it was more reality-based, I'm, I'm assuming that might have been a little bit harder than this. Yeah. Why would I want to read about someone essayed in the world? Like, I've experienced that. I don't need to read about it. But if I add some dragons, cool, then we can do it. So Yeah. Yeah, that totally, totally makes sense. I love that. And I just, just, I, I didn't, I don't mean to like focus, laser focus on this, but when you said you don't view it as fairy porn. The only reason I wanted to f- focus on that is, do you think that's a matter of just like opinion or the way you're viewing it? Or does it at all, and I don't mean this as like a way to attack the fandom or anything like that. No. Does it at all detract from your enjoyment of it when people are keep calling it that? Or do you think it's kind of lessening the value of it or anything like that? Okay, so I'm going to warn you. This is a soapbox for me. So just everyone buckle up. You know what I mean? Put your socks on. Okay. So, um, and I understand, I want to say at the outset of this, that I do understand that a lot of the people calling it fairy porn are fans of it. And they're doing it to be tongue in cheek, to be funny, all the things. I know that. However, I think that the popularization of calling it that has resulted in it being targeted egregiously in book bans. I know there is a state that's trying to ban it, not just from schools or whatever, but literally trying to ban it from being sold at Barnes and Noble, which I don't think they can do, but it's still scary, right? And so I think it has, and I also think, and this is more important, it's taken away from a legitimate fantasy writer and trivialized her work into being erotica. And that's not to say there's anything wrong with erotica, but this is categorically not. And I, I, I think anyone, if they actually, if we take away the joking, I think most fans know this is not very porn. Because actually, fun fact, I've done the math on this. So the first book doesn't even have a sex scene. Okay. It has a dot, dot, dot. So let's all calm down. Okay. So we can categorically, that's not very porn. Like just like categorically, like just because it has romance then, I don't know. Like, she's fighting giant worms. Like, I don't know. Like, what are we all talking about? Like, the word count is spent towards other things. Um, And then the second book, which gets a lot of beef because it actually gets more R-rated, it's technically, page count-wise, only eight pages. Eight pages. That's only, like, 2% of the entire book that is on sex scenes. For something to be erotica... It would need to be the large extent of what they are writing about. Like it it would have to be a much higher percentage. So this is still very much a plot-driven fantasy novel. And I feel like I have seen men take what started, I'm I'm assuming, it started from what I've seen on TikTok, etc. As a joke that women were making of like, oh, don't mind me, my fairy porn. Because like, there's a, like a flusteredness maybe to reading those scenes when you're at a doctor's office or something and you didn't know it's coming. Totally get that. Valid. Um, I think it was started as a joke. I've seen a lot of men using it to invalidate these n- new upcoming fantasy women authors. And it makes me so pressed because these still are fantasy books. And we're taking that away completely by discrediting them as smut and taking away that it has every other aspect of a fantasy book. And so it's it's minimizing the work of these writers because it doesn't just happen to Sarah J. Moss. So as women fantasy writers are becoming the norm, 
they're they're making a new con like a, a new category called romanticy. Um, and I feel like it's just a way of saying like, oh, women don't belong here. They can write about romance in a way that doesn't just trivialize women. Well, then that's porn. That's that's just a romanticy. It's not a true fantasy. And it makes me so pressed because no one was saying the same things about George R. R. Martin when he was writing about rape scenes. No one called that porn. And so why are we doing it when it's consensual? I don't know. Anyway, so soapbox. <laughs> no, I I think I think that also goes into the bigger um issue of women are not allowed to enjoy or want to read or want to write about anything that's sexual in nature at all. And if they are, it's trivialized or it is looked down upon. And I think that also at least to me that's what it also sounds like is you know, because male writers are allowed to do that a lot. Uh, male filmmakers are allowed to do that. You know, me- men in general, even with music, you find it with music too. It is a lot more acceptable and it doesn't, people don't use it as a way to diminish the art. Whereas with female writers, female creators, people will use that to diminish the art. So I totally, which isn't to say, hey, I, read a lot of smutty 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 fanfic and i am all for that hey i've written some smut and it's fine i have no issue with that but i see what you're saying if people are just going to be focused on that especially if it's such a small part of the book and how that can take away from maybe the bigger message and also make it harder for writers and for this writer in particular to reach new audiences or to even get a foot in the door. So I, I can see that totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's giving for me, it's like giving jealousy. It's giving, cause I read a lot of fantasy, like a lot of fantasy and just categorically. Now someone could tell me I'm wrong. Please prove me wrong. I would love that. Give me a better writer. But, um, and there's some male fantasy authors that I don't mind, like Patrick Rothis, et cetera, name of the wind. But just categorically, they don't write romance. Like the romance subplots in them tend not to be very strong. The interpersonal relationships and the sex tends not to be written very well, in my opinion. And most women's opinions I've talked to. And so I feel like it's this way of like, oh, well, then they're not a real... Like, it's it's like, oh, they're good at it. Well, then it, it must not be important. Like it's very much diminishing them because they're good at an aspect of their writing that these male authors tend to struggle with, in my opinion. So it's giving jealousy. No, I can. I I think that's where a lot of that stuff comes from from male critics or critics of people who they are any any in any marginalized group of people. And if you have anyone who is not, who is outside of that, criticizing it, sometimes it does, it does come from that, that point of view of jealousy and not wanting to have their power or control taken away, especially if they've had such a dominance in a particular field. And then if that's threatened at all, it, I think that's a lot of where that's coming from too, is that, you know, that's their power is being threatened by Absolutely. the existence of another person. Um, and their art. So I did want to know, 
And I don't know if you if you listen to our last one, you might be prepared for this question. And I know this might be even harder because of the fact that this is a series of books, even though you mentioned the second book is your favorite. So <laughs> do you have a favorite line then? <laughs> or one of your favorites? Oh, okay. Okay. One sec. <laughs> I know this is the hardest question. There's a line from one of the characters, Feyre, and she says something along the lines of, I'm drowning. The more you do this, you might as well be pushing my head under the water. And it it hits me just so hard every single time. That and I have a, like a tie here because I'm not going to pick. I can't do it. <laughs> um, she thinks to herself at one point, maybe it would be better to not exist. And obviously that is very dark, but I feel like the, what she was going through for me, it was really powerful having this character have these feelings and think these things and and stand up for herself in these ways. Um, It was incredibly powerful. And I think it's something that most of us can probably relate to is having that feeling of like something someone else is doing while you're struggling and and they see you're struggling and they keep doing it Mm -hmm. anyway. And they're just not listening to you having to explain to them like, no, you're like actively harming me right now. And I just think that's such a powerful metaphor for that with the drowning. And so I really like that quote. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, And then I'm wondering then, uh, so I know you already talked about how the second book was really helpful for you therapeutically. Is there a particular character in the series that is maybe your favorite, but also just a character that you relate to the most? And is there a reason why? I'm a typical main character energy girly. So it is uh, the main character for me, Farah Archanon. Uh, I relate to her very, very much. I feel like we're the same person. When people attack her decisions, I'm like, no, it makes complete sense. <laughs> like I get very up in arms. I feel like she has that same like lion house energy, like reckless, brave stuff that I do myself. So I, I just feel like we make, like put in her same situation, I feel like I'd make a lot of her same choices. And so I, I very, very much love this character. And so as much as you feel comfortable sharing, what has this series of books taught you about yourself? So I feel like this has taught me a lot about how, I think it's given me a lot of grace for myself, actually, in terms of how I handled certain situations and escaping certain situations. I'm going to have to say it kind of vague so y'all don't get ruined on the big plot twist. Um, But those that know, know. It taught me that it was okay that it took me as long as it did to recognize the situations I was in and to navigate what that felt like to leave those places and those people in my life. I think seeing it from her, who I related to so much, who talked in a similar way than me, as me, even though it was in fantasy, I think really helped me have grace. Whereas when it's just me, I was really struggling to be nice to myself about those things and to sort of recognize those toxic situations around me and to get to a healthier place. So it really taught me how to, honestly, it taught me a lot about consent. That sounds terrible, but like when that it is okay for myself to say no and that and just sort of recognize like the way people coerce you and things. Like I 
I literally learned that from this YA novel of like, oh, like I'm not, this is no at tag at dark fix. Totally dark romantic romances are still really fun, obviously. Like shadow daddy, whatever. Like I get it, get it, girl. But for me, it taught me to sort of recognize those tendencies in myself and what's not good about it and like step away from it. I feel like this author did something pretty unconventional for a book series. So we all fell for it when we read it when we were young. Um, And so I think that was the biggest thing for me is, yeah, the consent and the learning how to walk away and things like that. That's wonderful. And don't say that's, that's, there's nothing silly or dumb or stupid about that. And that takes a long time to learn. That is not something, I think that's something that people are still learning. And I think what people forget is that consent and walking away and saying no and give, you know, like being powerful and respecting your boundaries isn't just about sex. And I think people think it's just about sex and it's not just about sex. And so when you can realize that and realize that it's also about other personal boundaries that you might have or things that just are not okay with you or you're not comfortable doing, it can help you. And it's a very difficult thing to do and it's a very hard thing to learn. So if you can learn that at all, that's amazing, really. That's amazing to be able to learn that and take that away from from a piece of art because once again, art in any form can teach us about ourselves in the world. So if it did that for you, that's great because that is not a little tiny thing to learn. That's a thing that I think a lot of us are learning and relearning. So yeah, so don't put that down. (laughs) I really appreciate that. Especially like, it's like, oh, we didn't learn this in school. What? Like you would think, but no. And I think having to learn it on like a more atomic level of like you're confident enough in your consent over, yes, your body in any situation, not just sexually, is hard where we, we, you know, so many people are still learning it. People still try to diminish that when you do learn it finally for yourself and you say, hey, like, I just struggle being places where I can't escape. That's something with me. I don't like being places where I feel like any sort of trapped in. Mm -hmm. Like, like my car has to be somewhere I can access, you know, like I... And I, I, someone snapped back at me and they were like, consent is just, that's not what consent is for. And I was like, actually it is, bro. Like, but you have to be, learn it and, and learn it deep enough that when people do push back on you, because unfortunately that does still happen, just even basic life situations, you have to be like, no, and not let it affect you. And so learning it on a deep level is so hard, mm-hmm. I think. It is, yes. And I wish we, um, and I think some people are getting better about it now as with new generations, because I know you're definitely in a different generation than me. And I know we weren't necessarily taught a lot that, you know, as kids, you're kind of taught, you know, go, go hug this person, go do. And I think kids, and when you're an adult too, like you may not want to give someone a handshake you may not want to hug someone that you just met. You may not want to, and not just physical, but you may not want to be in a room with a person you just met or in a place where you feel like you can't, like you said, like you can't have an easy escape or route. Like give your 
phone number out even. That's a big it's so one. Personal. Mm-hmm. That's that's a big one. And I think a lot of people, a lot of women, you know, I was actually just watching a TikTok about something just like that of a woman who she was at a gym, a gym membership, and this guy followed her out and was like hitting on her, a guy that worked there and wanted her number. And it's very hard when women are in that situation to say no, because you feel like the easiest thing to do is to give your number because then that person will leave. And she did, and he was a jerk. But anyway, but the whole thing is also not attacking that person for ending up giving the number because you have to learn that that is something that we are taught as women I think especially is to be polite and it's okay to not always be polite, you know? Yeah. I think it's so important not to shame her for giving out her number because I think ultimately what she was doing in that moment was staying safe. Yes. And that's not to say you have to give out your number to stay safe, but there is a risk from saying no to a man in your face asking for your number. There is. He can get violently off the off the handle. And we don't know. They don't come with a little, like a trigger warning tag, like may get violent. That would be nice, but they don't. And so, yeah, absolutely no shame for it. Hopefully she blocked him and or got him fired from his gym and switched gyms. But that's so sad that that happened. But yeah, no, I think you have to give yourself grace in that moment because it's like, that creator was literally keeping herself safe. And and that's her job is to do that in whatever way she can in that moment. And so that's so important. But sucky, he put her in that situation in the first place. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, consent is about a lot of things. I mean, consent is consent can be with your friends. And I actually, you know, I joked about this the other day on an episode, but I do think it's true. I do think safe words, people automatically... Um, have a context for that for being sexual. But I do think safe words could play a part in a lot of situations. If you have like a word or a gesture or something that you can just say and say, I no longer feel safe in this situation. And um, I know that a lot of people would poo-poo that, but I do think that could come in handy too. So in the realm of consent. <laughs> but Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, Well, lastly, what I want to know, and here is the question that I know is also a hard one for people to do, but, and you can totally say you're not okay with it. Consent. You can give it. Okay. (laughs) Bring it on. I'm so interested. I'm like, with that kind of like, I know I hyped it up too much. What could she possibly be asking? I hyped it up too much for this. Um, But say (laughs) you are, I won't do the elevator because that's a confined space and I don't want to put you in a uncomfortable situation. But let's say you're out somewhere, you're out in like a an open field. Sounds weird, but you're out with a person <laughs> and you are sitting there and they are like, eh, you're trying to recommend this book. You're trying to get them to read it. And they are like, fantasy's not, I don't know if I'm really into fantasy or, you know, I read one book and it wasn't, it didn't really capture my attention. So try and sell that person really in like 30 seconds if you can. And that if you need a little bit more time, that's fine. But on this book, why they should read this book. Look, this isn't just me saying this, okay? Literally, this is the book 
that spurred an entire book talk revolution and saved many Barnes and Nobles across the country. This is the book that people are reading and it's convincing them to read for the first time in their life or to come back to reading. So it's not just me hyping. I promise you're going to get addicted. You're going to freaking love it. The only thing I'll say, the only negative is you may not get some sleep. That's the only negative to reading this. And even if you have a beef with fantasy specifically, this author does a way of like integrating it slowly and it works with the plot. So it's not just like a hundred pages of what the flip is happening, because that's totally a valid concern with fantasy. No, it's not just me. The, the proof is in the numbers, babe. Proof is in the numbers. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for talking about this series with me and for this discussion. I really enjoyed this discussion a lot. And thank you so much uh, for giving your time. So if you want to just let everybody know where they can find your podcast and also your art as well. So my podcast is called Fan Corner. You can find us on Spotify, Google, Podbean, and my website, fancornercreations.com. And then my art, memes, skits, all the fun stuff is at fancornercreations on Instagram and TikTok. Um, Technically Pinterest too, if that's still your vibe. I'm on there, but I'm less funny. So anyway, (laughs) that's all the places. Um, And thanks again for having me. Hello, and welcome back to It's a Fandom Thing. The voice you're hearing, yes, it is different. It does not sound like Aaron. No, this is not Aaron with a cold. This is not Aaron having gargled with, like, marbles. No, this is (laughs) frequent panelist. And the 2022 uh, favorite panelist, Carla. Hi. Hi, Carla. (laughs) And today, I have the distinct honor of interviewing Erin on her own podcast. This is very exciting for me, because now I get to turn the screws. I mean, I get to ask the questions (laughs) of our favorite podcast host. Hi, Erin. How are you on this fine day? (laughs) Hi, Carla. I'm good. I'm excited, and I'm very nervous. So, As you should be, (laughs) Erin. As you should be. <laughs> As you know, listeners, fandom thingers of the universe, of the universe, Aaron likes to ask some very, um, how do you put this? Some questions that make you kind of wonder why you agree to be interviewed about something because <laughs> it's sometimes kind of like asking you to pick your favorite baby. but this time it's about books and i'm very excited because we don't get to talk very often about books you and i aaron and the thing is that people may not realize aaron and i are in constant contact yes (laughs) we message each other just constantly we flood each other's tiktok dms but seldom do we discuss books so i'm very excited to talk to you about your choice for your favorite book for today. So the first question, of course, I will ask is, what is the book and who wrote it? Well, I was going to try and go with something different since I've been mentioning this book a lot. But then I was like, no, I'd like to talk about this book more. So it's probably not going to be a shock or a surprise. But I did go with Odd Thomas by Dean Koontz. Because 
I just, that was the one I wanted to talk about the most. So that's the one I chose from, and it's from 2003. So I'm very excited because you mentioned it on the recent episode for favorite authors, which was just released. It's the, the, on the previous Friday from this episode's release. (laughs) So go and check that one out. And you mentioned a little bit about it, and I would love to know more about the plot of the book, because it sounded very interesting from what was being discussed at that point. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, the book opens, you meet Odd Thomas, who, like I said on the episode, the reason he's named Odd is there was a mistake on the birth certificate. He was supposed to be named Todd, and the T got left off. And he grew up in a pretty abusive home. But he has a gift. He sees dead people, but the dead people don't talk. And he still doesn't know why they don't talk, but they don't talk to him. And usually it's because they need him to help with something. And big trigger warnings, though, I want to say first for this book, there is a lot of talk about sexual assault and also um, sexual abuse by a family member uh, towards Odd Thomas's girlfriend in here. So want to be aware of that. And it starts with him helping a a young girl who was brutally um, raped and murdered. So huge trigger warning for that stuff and also trigger warning for mass shootings and stuff like that. So just want to give a heads up on that. If you are going to read this book, just be aware of that. I think it's all handled with care, but it could trigger you. Um, But it starts with that, where he's helping a young girl find her murderer. He finds the murderer. He's friends with a um, with Chief Wyatt Porter in the town as one of his friends who knows he has this gift, doesn't know all that the gift entails, but knows and uses him to help solve crimes. Um, but he also works in this short order as a short order cook. And the reason he does that is he feels his life is so complicated by these spirits that he sees all the time. Like he sees the ghost of Elvis all the time. Hmm. He doesn't know why he sees Elvis all the time. And Elvis is always crying usually. So it's like this thing, he just always sees Elvis and he can't explain it because it's not like Elvis died in Pico Mundo, California is where this takes place. And so he figures if he's a short order cook, he can do this simple, simple thing that will take him out of this more complex world that he's living in where he's haunted by ghosts all the time. And the ghosts aren't mean or evil or anything except for this one that ends up later on. But then he also sees these creatures called Bodocs is what he names them. And they're basically like shadowy figures and he'll see them around people that are going to commit huge violent crimes um, or just are very violent people. And he starts to see them by this new man that moves into town that he nicknames Fungus Man. And so with the help of his girlfriend, who her name is Bronwyn Llewellyn, but she goes by Stormy because she doesn't like her real name because she feels like it makes her seem like she's an elf in some fairy tale book. <laughs> <laughs> and so she likes the name. She's amazing. She is an amazing character. So she likes to go by Stormy because she feels it's more mysterious and cooler and stuff. And she's the only one that knows about all this other stuff that Odd has, like he has like psychic intuition and knows when something might be happening. So he ends up investigating this man 
which leads him down this path where he finds out that there's this whole plot. This man is also working with three other people who, spoilers, I don't know if Carla wants me to spoil this whole book for her, though. So I mean, go for it. I will eventually read it, I'm sure, but please. <laughs> uh, so eventually finds out there's these three other men, Ben Eccles, Simon Varner, and Kevin Gossett, and they have been working with Fungus Man, also known as Robert Robertson. <laughs> okay. Robert Thomas Robertson, yes. <laughs> and um, they were doing like a lot of satanic cult stuff and rituals, and they um, killed his mom with his permission, Robert Robertson's mom, and gave, this is really gross, and gave him her ears as a souvenir. And then Whoa. they end up... And then the three uh, – these three men are actually the men who are the more powerful ones because they end up killing Fungus Man who ends up becoming a poltergeist. And so it's this whole plot to take down the mall in the town and to shoot up the mall. They even have a bomb planted, all of this stuff. But it's just – you know, it's a story about him figuring out this mystery thriller, but it's also – I think a story about a man who has this gift that even though he is, he's very positive, he's got a very positive outlook. I think he doesn't realize how special he is because of this gift. Like he still can't believe that he's with the woman he's with and they're like destined to be together. They got one of those like uh, fortunes that said you're soulmates and you're destined Aww. to be together. Yeah. And it's, it's a very beautiful love story. And then he also has – this one has a cat in it instead of a dog because uh, – because Dean Koontz loves dogs. But there's a cat that is his best friend, Little Ozzy, and he's nicknamed Little despite not being Little. <laughs> and he has, he has six fingers and, you know, he's just – he's also a very odd, different person. And his um, pet cat is named Terrible Chester. And Ozzy claims that the cat is over 50 years old. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, that's an old, old cat. That's like twice the age the cats usually get to and then yeah. some. Yeah. So, but I'll stop there because I feel like I'm giving the whole entire book away, which I kind of am because there is an ending to this that this this book made me cry. And I, I don't really want to give the ending away. But, yeah. It sounds very interesting. I I, I like... I, I like the entire premise. It sounds like it sounds very cinematic. And in fact, it reminds me of a film that I won't mention in some of its premise. And it's not to say that, oh, Dean Koontz plagiarized from a particular, you know, director or writer, but it, it's, it sounds very similar to it. it. It's certainly not the same. The reason that, that I'm comparing it is simply because I love that particular film. And it is, it would be interesting to read a more in-depth representation of something similar to that, where there's somebody who has a particular gift they try to kind of get away from, but then they decide to just kind of lean into it for the greater good, the greater good. And now I have a couple of questions here. Well, first, I see that it's uh, that it became a series. Did you read the the rest of the series? And how does it compare to the to the first book? I I did read the rest of the series. Um, I like it. It's just it's not as impactful as the first one, and I only think that's because 
the first one when I read it, I, I, it was just so impactful to me, like really um, emotionally impactful. Like I have never cried that much at a horror novel before, and I cried a lot in this book. And so even though I love the character Odd Thomas, this is my favorite character Dean Koontz has ever created. But I just, I don't know why the other books didn't have the same impact. Maybe it's just because this was so different and new at the time. So that could be why. But I have read the other books. The The second book is very different than this one. And it's called um, Forever Odd. And it's just, it's really quick. It's really mm. fast paced. And it goes really, really quick because there's like a time constraint on the story. There's time constraints in this too. But not in the same way, I guess, if, if that makes sense. But So it's like 24, the odd Thomas. <laughs> yes, it is actually. <laughs> <laughs> and the antagonist is a, is a woman in that one. So, yeah. Interesting. Now, how did you discover this book? Because I, I know that you love Dean Koontz. And you, you've, you've read horror since you were a kid with Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein and all of that. But was this a particular discovery or was it just through delving through the Dean Koontz oeuvre, as it were? <laughs> well, I was already reading Dean Koontz before this book came out. So, I mean, it's kind of a boring answer, but it was just because <laughs> it was a, it was a new Dean Koontz book. That was really the old, the way I discovered it. So. Yeah. Does this feel different from other Dean Koontz books? Or is it just in the vein of what he does? I don't think it's different. Um, I th- I mean, it's a different character, different story, of course. But uh, it's I think it's very similar to, like, the books that he does where, like, especially his later on books. And I mean later on, like, 90s and then 2000s. <laughs> so... Where it is very much he takes, it's a huge character study, and it's a character study of both the protagonist and the antagonist. And it's very similar in style to his Christopher Snow books, which were before these, which would have, which this, those used to be my favorite Dean Koontz books until Odd Thomas. And so it's very much, it's very similar to his in the fact that he's taking a protagonist who is always use almost always his protagonists are very weird in some way and outcasts in some way and don't fit in and don't realize how great they are like they they have this weird thing of like feeling like my gifts don't mean anything hmm. and then they kind of learn that they do so i think it's very similar in that that regard so it didn't feel it felt like a new adventure but it didn't and it felt more special than the other ones but it didn't feel like I was reading something that wasn't written by Kuntz. To me, it's very Kuntz. Mm-hmm. If you read Kuntz, I, you probably know what I mean by that, but it's very Kuntz. <laughs> and what is it about this particular book then? Because if it's just very much within his style, what is it about this particular book that keeps you coming back to it and that that means so much to you? Well, I think, you know, speaking as someone who has had lots of stuff revolving around spirits and ghosts since I was five years old. This, to me, what I appreciated about this is most books and most movies and most television shows, when you're dealing with spirits and ghosts, they're always evil. They're almost always bad. 
or almost always doing horrible things. And in my experience, my personal experience, I'm not saying there aren't bad, evil things because there are. Most ghosts aren't like that. Most are like this, like what what Dean Koontz is describing. Most of them are just lost, sad. Some of them are very just sad. A lot of them, in my feeling, don't always know they're dead. And it's and they're just trying to reach out to someone to help them. And this was one of the only things I'd ever read. And this is also why I appreciate the movie that Carla is kind of referring to. <laughs> That's why I always appreciated that movie. And that movie made me cry too. Because to me, it's much it's a much more accurate description of what it's really like. And I just appreciated that someone wrote that and wrote it in a very deep, deep thing of going very much into the psyche and um and also adding the humor to it and also the love story honestly i mean there are other love stories in his books but this is like the first one that felt so completely um like another character in the story like he to me, reading some of his nonfiction books, it almost felt like he was describing his relationship with his wife, Dean Koontz's mm-hmm. relationship with his wife. And so it's this very deep spiritual connection that these two have. And I, that was another thing that felt a little bit different, actually, than some of his other books. So that I think that was another reason I connected to it. So. That's lovely. Like, I, it really sounds like I'm like so excited to read this book now. <laughs> <laughs> I love everything that you've said about it and about the characters and about the approach to the paranormal. Because, yeah, you're absolutely right. Most depictions of ghosts, the ghosts are violent, they're destructive, they want people out of their homes, or they want to just wreak havoc because they're so mad that they're dead. And like, okay, yeah, understandably. But there's so much more to it than that. And I don't think that it gets explored enough. So it sounds sounds very interesting. Now, I will ask you the question with which you tortured me and <laughs> other people. You you, tetra- you tortured Bex and Ishelle on the recent episode about favorite books. Do you have a favorite line from the book? See, I have to admit, I'm a cheater. <laughs> and I... <laughs> You anticipated. I was like, I wonder if I wonder if Carla's gonna ask me this. So I'm gonna prepare in advance. And there are many lines I could choose, but I um and it's just one little line I am I just I don't know. I think it perfectly encapsulates a little bit of what odd is about. And um there's two things here. Wait, I did two things. That's right. You can only pick one. I know. I'm gonna pick this one. Okay. (laughs) We may lack riches, but the greatest fortune is what lies in our hearts. And it's just, to me, it's, I mean, I'm not going to say why that line is said, but it just, I don't know. It sums up a little bit of the beauty in this book and the hopefulness in this book. Mm-hmm. So. I love that. It has a very O. Henry, Gift of the Magi feel to it. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate that because I love Gift of the Magi, even though it is tragic in its own very specific way. <laughs> but I I have a couple more questions, believe it or not. And, okay, if 
you had an opportunity to sit down with either Aunt Thomas or with Stormy and have a dinner with them and just talk to them about whatever you wanted to, which one would you pick? And what would you talk to them about? Oh my gosh, that's really hard because I love both of them. Oh my gosh. Ha, you're not the only one who can do this. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a very good question because that's really hard. I thought you were going to say Odd Thomas or Dean Coons. That's (laughs) when you said that. And then I'm like, oh my gosh. Because Odd Thomas is my absolute favorite character from Dean Coons, but but I love Stormy so much. Um, But I am going to choose Odd Thomas. Only because it is my favorite character. <laughs> and also because I would love to sit down and talk with Odd about what he has learned about himself through the process of having these spiritual encounters and how he got to the point where he was able to have them and not have it be a drain on him in his oh. life. So. Thinking of people who have experiences with the paranormal, and yes, absolutely, how draining it can be, for so many reasons, not the least of which is that the societal expectation that you are Looney Tunes for even thinking that these are real. Yes, absolutely, it makes sense that talking to somebody who has managed to overcome the draining aspect would be enticing. Yeah. So that that makes a lot of sense. Now, this book, you know, the the character means a lot to you. The book is something that you really love and that resonates with you a lot. In what way has this made an impact on you personally as an Aaron Marlowe out there in the world? Oh, that is another really good question. Uh, and I, and this can probably be said actually for a lot of Dean Koontz books, but for this one in particular, I think it's helped me see that things that I have that I consider like that I've had a hard time realizing are gifts or okay to have, or don't make me weird, like in a bad way, weird, that there actually are gifts and that it's okay to be odd, no pun intended. So I think that's that's probably the biggest thing, a biggest takeaway from any of his books, but especially this one, is it's okay to be different. And in fact, it makes you beautiful to be different and to embrace that. Because, and not only Odd Thomas is different, um, his girlfriend is different. Little Ozzy is very different. Chester, even Chester is different. <laughs> And that's okay. <laughs> it's true, though. I, I think a lot of us weirdos out there, really, particularly in our youth, we get very down about ourselves. Like, why can't I just be normal? Like, why can't I just like what other kids like? But there is something beautiful and glorious in being weird and being odd. And it's the kind of thing that I wish... We could confer on our younger selves where we could, you know, we could just transfer that, that mojo that we have now to our younger selves so that our younger selves wouldn't feel so out of place in the world. Because there is a place in the world for us weirdos. You know, there, if all humans were one thing, God, what a boring world that would be. Like I'm thinking of Madeline, um, Elengel's 
book, A Wrinkle in Time, where mm-hmm. Meg goes to that town where everybody's bouncing the ball at the exact same time and all the houses look the same and how unbelievably boring that is. And we're just out here sparkling like weirdo little unicorns, making the world more interesting in our way. And we don't recognize that in ourselves at a young enough age. So that's that's a, a great takeaway from from anything, but especially from from this from this book. Thank you for sharing that. That's lovely. Thank you. And my final question, and yes, I am stealing this also from you. <laughs> okay, Aaron. All right, you're stuck in an elevator. Okay, you're stuck in an elevator with Jensen Ackles, and Jensen <laughs> Ackles has never read this book and has never heard of this book. And it's like, oh my God. like you're in a spy thriller and you're, 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 you stop the elevator and you lean over to him and whisper confidentially and you're dressed all in black because now you're a spy. And you say to him, Jensen Ackles, I don't have much time. I must tell you about this book that you have to read. And Jensen Ackles is like, well, just tell me what it is so I can decide whether or not to read it. No, Jensen Ackles, you must read this book. What's the elevator pitch before he presses the let's just go elevator button? Holy crap. (laughs) Jensen, you have to read this book because uh, not only will it capture you in the fact that it is a thriller, it goes really quickly, but it also delves deep into character. And I know you appreciate really, really good writing, especially when it explores character in a very deep and profound way and in a cinematic way and where it appreciates not only love, but also fear and terror and horror and spirituality. And it will touch on all of those things and make you feel like a better and more complete human being and make you see all those ghosts and spirit and stuff that you have been hunting fictionally for 15 years in a totally different light. And it'll make you see love and the world in a different light. And here Jensen Ackles presses the button and is like, Aaron Marlowe, because you're wearing a name tag because you're a terrible spy. Aaron Marlowe, that's awesome. I'm going to go out here right now and buy all of these books and read them. And then you say, thank you, Jensen Ackles. And you you disappear through that little, like, upper porthole and you're, like, spirited away by this, like, mechanical rope that Dean Koontz himself is leveraging you up. (laughs) Because you are part of his guerrilla book selling squad. And then Jensen Eccles turns around as the elevator doors open. <gasps> Where did Aaron Marlowe go? Did I imagine this? As he's already putting the book into his shopping cart on Amazon. Or even better, book, book, uh, what is it? Bookshop.org or .com or whatever. The end of the scene. Wow. <laughs> that was a really awesome way to do <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Aaron, thank you so much for letting me interview you. And Thank for telling you. me about this amazing book that now I have to go out and like check out because it is intriguing. It's intriguing and you explained it in a way that desperately makes me want to read it. Oh, good. Good. Well, I hope you love it because I'll be really heartbroken. <laughs> <laughs> I just won't tell you. <laughs> I'll just always say, you know, I just haven't gotten around to it. <laughs> but thank you so much, Erin. Thank you. And Carla. You need to tell everybody where they can find you, though. Of course. Yes. If you enjoyed me talking at you, you can hear more of that on my podcast, which I co-host with my bestie Meg called Bedwet or Behead, which you can find wherever wherever you found this podcast, you can find that podcast as well. 
You can also look for our social media presence, which is mostly just retweets or just occasionally liking things on Instagram. And that is on Twitter. It's at bedwetbeheadpod. On Instagram is at bed.wet.behead.pod. On TikTok, you can look at our five TikToks at bedwetbeheadpod. You can look for me, my art, and my musings on Instagram at carlatemis or TikTok. I have one beautiful TikTok at carlatemis as well, or my website, carlatemis.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S dot com. And I appreciate you grooving along with the head bops <laughs> as I recite the spelling of my name. You're welcome. Thank you again, Carla. My pleasure. Thank you again to Rachel from Fan Corner Podcast for discussing with me one of your favorite books. Once again, I just really loved that conversation. So thank you so much. And thank you, thank you, thank you to the amazing, wonderful, lovely Carla from Bedwetter Behead Pod and also my unofficial co-host and also the master of Christian effing Bale impressions. If you don't know that, go back and listen to our Christian effing Bale month episodes. You will hear some of her fantastic, just like stupendous. They are so accurate that it's like you're in the room with Christian Fing Bale himself. Remember, you don't want to follow me. You want to follow Fergie on TikTok at Schroeder and Fergs. That's S-C-H-R-O-E-D-E-R-A-N-D-F-E-R-G-S. And say it with me. It's long, but it's worth it. Make sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. On TikTok at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, please head on over to our website, It's a Fandom Thing Pod.com. Click the Contact Us button there and that'll shoot me an email and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And while you're there, consider becoming a Patreon supporter today for as little as three bucks a month. Plus, at that level, we are offering a seven-day free trial, so you have nothing to lose. You get great bonus content. You get ad-free episodes. You get a bunch of other cool stuff throughout the year. Like we have, um, like Carla said, that she won Best Panelist at our first annual Fandom Choice Awards. Well, every year, you get to help decide the nominees for that year. So you get to – you basically are voting in like the initial ballot like you would if you were like an Oscar voter or something to determine who actually gets nominated. So head on over to the support us tab on our website. It's a fandomthingpod.com or click the link in the show notes. And remember, best way you can support us and any indie podcast out there is rate us five stars on iTunes and Spotify and share, 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 share. And thank you so much for listening. And next week, we are going to be talking about graphic novels. So Bex from Big Reputations Pod and Sasha are going to be joining me for that one. This is a relatively new thing for me. Like I've read just a couple of graphic novels. So I'm going to be relying heavily on them. But I am very, very excited to talk about this. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.